We would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners and custodians of the lands on which we record from today, the peoples of the Kulin Nation. I also pay my respects to the elders past and present. I extend that respect to the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples here today. Source, a new podcast from Cappy, where hosts Emma Evans and Thurman Wise get to the source of our daily rituals, speaking with entrepreneurs that are changing the face of our day-to-day. From making our bed to a glass of wine and everything in between, we give you a peek into the leaders making our daily rituals serve us better, support our communities and bring positive change to our surroundings. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to the sixth episode of season two of The Source Podcast. As always, we have the amazing Emma Evans. And the lovely Thurman Wise. Thank you so much for the beautiful, kind words, Emma. (laughs) Anytime. On today's episode, we are very, very excited to welcome into what has now been deemed the Melbourne Cappy Bunker, the incredible Flex Mommy. Some of you might know her as, I mean, she's a multidisciplinary creative, everything from being an author, playing cards, DJing, DJ. She is a radio presenter with the amazing Keda radio. And yeah, just the list goes on and on and on. And we're very excited to have her here in the studio. Yes, here down from Sydney. So very lovely that she could fit us into her schedule to come in person with some vibrant energy for this spring day. And I mean, funny enough, we're such big fans of Flex here. We're actually recording this on a national holiday and some of the staff of Cappy came in on their day off just to meet Flex. True story. And then also watch the start of the podcast. It was our first podcast with With an audience. (laughs) Yeah. You know what though? Normally I would have been really nervous. Yeah. It was good. Perhaps we actually found it weird when they left. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, come back. (laughs) When did they leave? Maybe we're now confident podcast hosts. Maybe. Well, enough about us. Get ready. Get ready for an amazing episode. And so with that, we welcome the incredible Flex. It is me. It is her. She is a incredible creative. Yes. Across so many different <laughs> channels from being a DJ. Mm-hmm. She does playing cards, mm-hmm. an author, a presenter at the amazing Kada. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, the list can go on and on. It does. <laughs> We're going to do 45 minutes of Flux Just telling us exactly what she does today. <laughs> but for our guests who might not be familiar with your work. Do you mind giving a little a little spiel on what you do? A little spiel. Yes. My name is Flex. I like to say I am a multidisciplinary media person, but that makes it seem like I'm, I'm an artist. So I just say I'm a media personality and that kind of does it for people. Whatever's in the media landscape, I do it, whether it's from like DJing to writing, to designing, to running companies, to doing the whole thing. And the shtick is I get paid to be myself, which is cool because I set it up that way. It wasn't intentionally. I felt like, you know, you do one big career jump. I went from working in PR to being a DJ and then I felt invincible. I was like, whoa, you can just do that? What else can I do? So I just started doing that until now. And it's been 10 years. 
be yourself. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the dream, right? Yeah. Which we just need to, everyone needs to follow it. Or at least unless, try. unless it's not your dream. Yeah, unless being yourself really isn't the best thing for you. Because I think more people than not would agree with that sentiment. Like, I tried to be myself, it didn't work out. In that case, be somebody different. Exactly. <laughs> so it's a lot going on. A lot of what we chat about is rituals. How do you embrace, like, maybe not a day, but like a week? Is there structure and flow or is it a little bit more fluid? It's definitely fluid, I am an agent of chaos in my like at my core, but this year in particular, I'm learning the gift and the value of discipline because it kind of gives you a beautiful framework to be, you know, just insane within. And I didn't see it that way before. I was like, oh, structure is stifling and it rids me of the agency to do what I want, when I want, because I want. Mm-hmm. And especially when it was somebody else giving me structure, I was like, oh, you are definitely an enemy of progress. You don't want to see me thrive. But now I get it because there are so many things I want to do. And I'm recently coming to terms with the fact that I can't do it all, not through my might or my merit, but there's not enough time. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to live a rushed life for the sake of it. So I often say like a week feels like a day because I feel like that's the full cycle. Like if I can just get through one week and I've done enough reading, enough TikTok, enough crafting, enough work, that feels better than aspiring for every day to feel balanced at all. But I would say if I was to map out a day, there would be a ritual of some sort. Some things always happen. Like I always forget to drink water. (laughs) But I always wake up, you know, Thank goodness. I always shower. I always brush my teeth. I always do my hair. I always get dressed. Important. Yeah. Like these things happen every day. I always like check my phone right after I've done those things. I always daydream. Like that's a big part of my day. Twice a day, three times a day, always daydreaming. I always check my email every day. That is cooked. That is not what the world would want for me. I always go online. I always think about reading and mostly every second day I read, but I was in a reading rut. Let's not talk about it because I'm coming out of it. I'm coming out of it. (laughs) What was the last book you read then? The last book I read was called, you're going to love this one because this is part of my propaganda, my fiction propaganda that everybody should read fiction to become a better critical thinker. I stand by it. It's the pipes in the wall to the bunker. Or is it someone you're keeping in (laughs) there? We are in a bunker. (laughs) They're like, save me. I'm like, I'm actually talking about my books right now. (laughs) Oh, what is it called? See, I have to say, I don't read enough fiction. (gasps) I know, I know. I'm I'm like, because to me, I read a ton of nonfiction. Mm. And even I'm obsessed with the news. And I just find like... You are obsessed with like, I think I don't know anyone else that could recite the news like you. Well, the crazy thing to me is that sometimes nonfiction is way stranger than fiction. Like right now, like it's crazier than the real housewives, what's going on. (laughs) I know, know? but sometimes I think because like I feel like it's similar to watching a movie, but you're reading, like you can get really like into it and it is i think really positive for your brain Mm. well the argument of making myself a better critical thinker 
Okay. I might, I yeah, might then pop, you might, might embrace it. Fiction. So here's the thing. I'm a nonfiction girly. I wrote a nonfiction book. I totally get it. I am like sucked into the self-development pipeline. I feel like I have a lot of agency to do what I want, when I want, whatever. And I also feel like, you know, like knowledge is power. We don't want to get to like a Fahrenheit 451 burn the books type of thing. We want to like absorb it all because there's so much there. But I often think that nonfiction comes with just a lack of context because people assume that if they're able to ideate, it must be perceived as fact and therefore true. And it's like, okay, cool. So when I'm interacting with people or when I'm reading nonfiction, I'm like, how much of this is just your delusion that you're able to validate based on like your clout or, you know, how magnanimous your reach is and how much of it's actually helpful for the average person? I don't know. I don't because I feel like my life is like mostly delusional, but I just articulate it in a way and present it in a way that makes sense. It doesn't. So for fiction, here is the thing. Fiction books, mainly fantasy or adventure, requires you to visually materialize things, places, people, ideas, norms that don't exist. Like you have to make it a point for it to make sense to you, to follow the story of people you don't know, you don't care about, and you will never meet. And to allow yourself to step so far out of your own reality, to not only consider somebody else's, but to immerse yourself in it and make it make sense, that is going to help you become a critical thinker because suddenly you're able to think creatively and laterally and connect abstract ideas and to reconcile incompatible truths all in this fictional space and still put it there and live your regular life. And I don't think people can use that skill outside of the context of immersing themselves in fictional media. Like why can't you interact with a person who does not share your same lived experience, does not believe what you believe, does not think what you think and leave it there and go about your day? I'm a fiction reader. <laughs> Propaganda! <laughs> Sign another one off the fiction cults. What color robe do I have to wear? Can I wear? I mean, go with what your what your heart deals. All right, tie dye robes. <laughs> it is funny though because I think a while back I was listening to this amazing. It was an interview with someone that was talking about the history of film, and he was trying to push a anti HD propaganda, mm. and he was saying that you know we want everything to be real life, we want everything to be so close to reality. And he's like, but the beauty of film, the beauty of, you know, things being kind of washed out or going to a cinema. And even he was like, you know, there's a reason why the curtains pull back, mm. the lights go low, because it's alluding to a fantasy world. And so once you enter, you know that you're entering a place that as fully fictional, it's fully created. And he's like, but now, because we're so obsessed with the real today, we really miss the point of art. Yeah. And we missed the point of creativity. And it's funny because I was like bought into that, but I still was like, oh, I'm not going to read fiction. Yeah. I mean, both things make sense. But I think like you said just earlier, real life is as uncanny and as kooky as fiction is. And so, again, I think it's about the reconciling those incompatible truths and being like, can these two things coexist to build and nurture and nourish a more complex way of viewing the world and i mean at the end of the day the word fiction is in non-fiction non-fiction. and for the most part most people like you said they're coming at it with their own perspective you know it's like it's their version of current events it's their version of self-help it's their yeah. version of which could be fictional in itself uh-oh 
Uh-oh. <laughs> Mind bended. <laughs> but wait, the last book you read. Oh, yeah. Okay. Here's the thing. So the last book I read was obviously Fantasy Smut. It's called Her Villains by Jade Presley. It's reverse harem fantasy. We're talking one girl. She's got four boyfriends. But the thing is, I, ca- I can't even spoil the story. Don't do it. But let me read the synopsis and maybe that'll help. Got good reads open. Will it load in the bunker? I don't know. <laughs> okay. In order to save her people, she must marry her enemies. <gasps> da, 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 da. Political? <laughs> political? Yes, it is political. Okay. So it's basically about this uh, princess who was raised as an assassin and her final mission based on, you know, her dad's ruling is that he wasn't able to colonize these other lands. And so she would have to do it. She would have to go in, be married off to this neighboring kingdom, make the princes fall in love with her. So she could convince them to like kill their dad and then she could become queen and then make her dad the king of all the lands or whatever. In that process, she figures out like, you know, what is my value? If I'm being of service, what is love comparing familiar love to romantic love? What commitment do I have to myself in all of this? There's all these like social norms and it's fantasy. So you're like, what, what are you talking about? Where does this come from? The value of a woman in this time, like she was raised to be an assassin, but she has to present as this docile, submissive girl. It's incredible and incredible in the sense that I can fill in the gaps for when the writing isn't great. You know what I mean? I can fill in the gaps for the tropes. Of course, it didn't write extremely well, but not all books do. And how do you pick a book trade? Well, here's the thing. I will either type in a trope I want to read or I will just scroll, scroll, scroll. Like if you've read this, you should read this and then save. If you've read this, you should read this. But what I try not to do is read any reviews or read the full synopsis. I need need the first two lines. Mm -hmm. If it makes sense, I'll read it. Yeah. I'm about quantity not quality yeah <laughs> <laughs> because you read enough books especially in a certain genre you kind of get the vibe but you don't know what's great until you've read a lot yeah. of stuff and so I try not to be too harsh on authors where I'm like will you oh, always that's... finish the book yeah 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 I guess coming from the perspective of having produced a book mm. do you think that going through that process changed the way that you read Yes and no. I feel like I didn't consider how much of the publishing industry was just that an industry. It wasn't a group of creatives coming together to find another medium to express their thoughts. It was how do we make this body of work that's going to appeal to as many people as possible for commerce? And I was like, oh, cool, cool. Down from, you know, how you express your ideas. Well, don't use that word because it could alienate someone. That word is too hard. That word is too colloquial. That word is too, and it's like, okay, well, if I'm speaking to everybody, I'm speaking to no one. So where do we draw the line? Even picking a book cover, I thought that would be just like personal preference, a vibe. No, 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 no. There, And you'll notice when you go into a bookstore, mystery books look like that. Personal development books look like that romance books look like that then you have to fit your book into that niche with very little leeway because your publisher will be like we need we need to sell this book to retailers and retailers have been in the book or the industry for so long they don't want to see something new that's you know the exception to the rule it's too difficult to sell and you're like okay cool so when do we talk about the creative part of this i mean like you know i'm in the trenches talking numbers and sales i want to talk ideas so that was really interesting but i think where I gained more empathy for 
authors is that when I got to the third print run of my book, and I think that's like, I don't know, like 60,000 books or something. I'm like, oh, it doesn't feel like a lot because I could post a video that reaches 60,000 people like that, you know? And then I was reading stats and data that says that 90% of authors don't sell more than 12 books. And you're like, oh, well, globally at all? <laughs> you're in the top you know? 10. It's like being an OnlyFans creator. You just publish. You're in the top 0.01% of all creators. But so I was thinking about how a lot of fiction authors especially, like it takes so much time to build a world, to build a language, to build an idea and then get that published and then nobody reads it or they read something beforehand so they assume that your book is like the shittier version of it because they didn't get to it. You know, all of these things. And I think I empathise with a lot of creatives. It, it takes a lot of time to ideate something that's worth sharing and then once it gets shared people project onto you what they think it should have been based on their own experience it's like we'll leave that just ex experience this in the world and if you don't like it cool read another book mm. it's also interesting too because it's i guess that the perspective of time you know so like you might have written literally the world's best book and 10 people have read it and then 200 years from now someone comes across it and you're Literally. The number one New York Times bestseller. Absurd. So it's like, what is that pressure? Mm -hmm. How does that make you feel about writing a second book? Oh, terrible. <laughs> it was such a terrible process. I did not like it at all. And I think there's something about having to put thoughts to paper and stand by them forever and ever and ever and ever. Like in any other context, we could have a conversation and by the end I could change my mind. We might hope I change my mind. We might hope I be become more open to other ideas, other thoughts, but everything about a book, especially a nonfiction one, you're meant to write with such certainty. You're meant to use imperative language. You don't say, I hope maybe, you know, we could, you say we did and like this is, and we are, and it communicates a sense of credibility which is fantastic but what about when you're still ideating and you're still like I'm not sure what I think these are just thoughts on a paper no <laughs> so and I've had publishers ask why don't you write a non a fiction book I'm like no I don't want to have to like change the way I'm consuming this thing I really enjoy to write something that I might not enjoy like it's just not worth it to me I want to be able to read a book and not have any comparison happening, being like, oh, how would I write that? And could I write it better? No. I want a ghostwriter, though. That's what I want. I want to be able to just like chit chat, chit chat, and then somebody else structure it, yeah, somebody else yeah. fill in the gaps, you know? That so would be great. So, anyone listening, come be taking, my ghostwriter. Now taking applications for <laughs> a ghostwriter. Because that's the thing, I'm like, I already know I can write. Like, what am I trying to prove? I want someone better than me to be like, these are great ideas. Here's how we help you make them better. Like yeah. my pride is not too big for that. <laughs> Just start doing voice memos to yourself. Literally. And you'll have a collection. Yeah. Here are the memoirs. Turn this into something. Here's eight hours of my thoughts. Yeah. Enjoy. And there is something there. I just know it. But I don't want to have to sit down and like put them together. For years. For years. That's what I For find really years. hard to contemplate is that how long it takes but then there's some people out there that just love to put things yeah. together because i'm on your side mm -hmm. like and emma and all my colleagues can probably say thurman is terrible at putting things together but it's like ideas are 
feels so natural. And then you yeah. meet someone that's like, I just want to make it happen. And you're yeah. like, that's what you want to do? Mm. You want to make it happen? Oh my God, go for it. Yeah, be yourself. The rest of us were like, give me a brainstorm. I'm happy to brainstorm. Make those ideas connect. I'm like, that is so boring. Next. <laughs> so then like you were saying though, in I guess the publishing industry where you, I guess at your core feel so creative, yet you've got so many people in your ear about trying to focus it a certain way do you find that in your other creative endeavors as well like do you find that in in djing do you find that in social media radio well this is the thing I, it's the opposite so i am a commerce-led creative i'm not a creative with a capital c who's like my heart's desire is to share my inner thoughts with the world and the most no 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 like business person first but my introduction to publishing was it'll be a creative expression of what you've done so far so i was like okay great let's pivot like let's use the different brain and i was like no it's just the same like with every slash I get especially I'm like oh it really just is a manifestation of work it's all just work and some of it is in a different medium some of it's more fun some of it's more casual but it's just work and so my thoughts or my thinking around you know doing more is like it's gonna be the same so maybe I want to do less and just get rewarded with more. Be yourself, do less, bigger rewards. <laughs> Literally. But I know it's possible because when I say do less, I have 10 jobs. So I'm not like, it's not, I'm not like reasoning with someone who is doing one thing poorly and being like, you do less. You should probably do a little bit more. <laughs> but for me, I'm like, I've already like proved to myself that I am capable and it's possible to do X, Y, Z. So I'm no longer trying to negotiate with my inner critic who's like, you need more proof more proof of concept i'm like it's there so now what <laughs> someone needs to find my archives and be like blow it up blow it up <laughs> sign some invoices <laughs> any job in that slashes or any of the jobs that you've done anything that you're like okay not for me they're all like that do you know what i've been thinking about recently a lot last year was my year of building resilience or 2020 2020 was a big resilience year for me because the year before I had was in Milan for work and I was like, oh my goodness, I'm just going to go to Ghana. That's where I'm from. And the flights were so cheap. They were $800 in comparison to if I were to fly from Sydney, it could be anywhere from $4,000 to $5,000. You know what I'm saying? So I was like, this is amazing. I'll just fly. My mum was already there. I was like, cool. So I book a, a flight and I go to the counter. They're like, oh, where's your visa? And I was like, oh, yeah. I'm an Australian citizen. Eh, sorry. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, you can't just go to Ghana. I was like, oh, okay, cool. So I call my mom, like, mom, and she's like, I'll say it out. But in the process, I was just like stranded in Milan for five days. And when I say stranded, I mean that I didn't want to go back into the city because it's just so expensive. And I'm a material girl and Milan is expensive. So I was like, I'll just stay by the airport. But there's no Uber. So I'm like walking 45 minutes to like some grocery store to like buy a mandarin and then walk this walk on a highway to get back to the airport. It just felt so dystopian because I was staying in this like palatial building, just like being like, I don't have any of my creature comforts. Why am I walking on the side of the road? There's dust everywhere. But what ended up happening is what should have been a like a direct flight took me an extra five days to get to Ghana because 
it was like three connecting flights and every connecting flight was delayed. So I had to stay a night. And then every time I stayed a night and caught another flight, they lost my bags, this whole thing. But every time something went wrong, I broke down like something bad had never happened to me before. And it's like, in my mind's eye, I'm like, bad things don't happen. And so every time something didn't work out, I was like, this is a fluke. I'm having a string of bad luck. And it's like, you're not special. People's bags go missing all the time. Flights get delayed all the time. So I was like, okay, year of resilience, right? But then um, this year and the end of last year, I was like, oh, I'm learning about balance and not like work-life balance, but this idea for every left, there is a right, for every up, there is a down, for every good, there is a bad. I just didn't see the world that way. I was like, oh, for every good, there's more good. And for every bad, there's like less bad. And for everything I want, there could be no negative consequence for that. And now I'm like, oh, to maintain balance. Like, yes, you can strive for more money, but you're going to have to work more and have less time for your friends and family and have less time for the things that you want. Do you want to do it? And I'm like, oh, interesting. Probably not. So with my slashes, like we could go through every one, like DJing, I like music, right? But do you know what's what doesn't feel as good? Like It's like, it's one thing for you to like music, right? But imagine going to a venue of 2000 people being like, I love this song and I want to share this song and everybody hates this song. But not only do they hate it, you ruin their vibe. You ruin their night. Now they're turning back at you. They're giving you dirties. They hate you. Like you become the topic of conversation. of like, that song is terrible. I hate that. And it's, that's just one song. That's one flop in what could be a night of 150 flops. And then you're like, oh, okay, cool. Maybe I'll play the songs that you like. But what if I hate those songs? And now I'm feeling terrible and everyone's smiling at you. We love you. This is amazing. And think about DJing. I thought it would just be like a creative outlet. No, it's just like anthropology. It's just observing people and trying to manipulate their mood to suit yours or vice versa. You know, it's like, I thought you just pick a song. It's like, no, 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 you need to pick, you know, when you start, you need to like ease into the night. You need to play a hype song. You need to play a chill song. So people can stop and go to the bathroom and get a drink. You need to bring them back. You need to sustain them. You're like doing all this thinking and like, no wonder DJs look like they're not having fun. It's not that fun to be like, this is so much pressure. I just wanted to play a bop. And now everyone's like, excuse me, Flex, can I pick a song? And it's like, I don't, that's not how it works. I don't just have songs available. I had to program this with this, like, it's too much, you know? And then with influencing, like, this is sick. You just get like paid to like, you know, show people your life and you wear cool things and people are like, where's that thing from? And it's amazing. But then being in an environment where you are so hyper aware of not only yourself, but yourself in the eyes through others, is just so disconcerting. It's one thing to not be sure about who you are, but for everybody else to have a say on who you are, who you should be, how you should show up, how often you should do it, what they're entitled to, and then not feeling like you have any responsibility to say no. It's almost like being like a gorilla in a cage where everyone's like, do something, do something fun. I came here to see something fun and you're not being fun. And you're like, hey, babes, it's sleep time. Well, you know, why did you say it was summer? Because I'm, I'm in America and it's winter. And it's like, okay, so one thing about the seasons, like I'm in the Southern Hemisphere. Like, you know, like that's not fun. That's really ridiculous, but it's a core part of the job. So now I'm like, yeah, it's great, but it's also really annoying. So I like to feel neutral about things these days. It just is what it is, especially work. Neutral is good. <laughs> I agree with that, though. 
And we talk about that often, like especially even in business, like when things go wrong, like you can lose your shit mm-hmm. or you can go like it is what it is. It is what it is. And like what I think is good, Thurman could think is bad. Yeah. Like who puts that label on that? Exactly. And you're never going to make everybody happy. No. Like even when you probably, if you play to the crowd, there's going to be the one guy yeah. that's like, oh, this you is sold out. Yes, Flex, play the, play the good stuff. You're like, okay. <laughs> It is funny that balance that we do have, I guess, whether it's with celebrity or whatever. It's like there's this thing of I like you to a point. You know, you got the people that are like, oh, they're mine. You know, they're like, and then it's like, oh, they've gotten to a level of success. And like, yeah, oh, you sold out. It's yeah, like, terrible. no, you're successful. Freaking Was this not the it. point? <laughs> Why are we not on the same page? Because I was doing it just for you yeah. at your apartment. <laughs> That was all. In your device, with your internet plan, it was just for you. And your taste in music. Yeah. It's been... It's been great. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, in media, like, I honestly can't even imagine because I, you know, often will put my phone away, but your phone and being engaged is so much of what you do. Are there ways that you switch off or times where you're like, I just want to completely zone out other than in the fantasy fairy book (laughs) it's tricky because i used to really feel like no i can't because the algorithm makes it so you can't like there are actual consequences for not publishing in a way that are material and i think people don't understand so for example if i post consistently on my story all the time right you could get a 100,000 views or 80,000 views or 50,000 views or 30,000 views. It's a lot. You take one day off and come back to your Instagram story, you're reaching 5,000 people. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, okay, cool. Like you reach less people, but then you, you know, a brand has paid for access to your page in hopes to reach that 100,000 people. So now your whole weekend is orienting around posting the most interesting stuff to rig the algorithm so you get seen by more people. And so, before I was like, no, I can't switch up. It's really terrible. And then I got into the phase of being like, okay, well, if I can't switch off, I need to make this place a better place for me to exist in, which means I need to set rules and guidelines and boundaries, not just for myself, but for the people who interact with me. If this place becomes less fun because you don't know how to say please and thank you when you ask for something or you send me uh, racially insensitive content under the guise of like, I'm just trying to learn and understand. I need to like set that boundary. But then I became like a teacher for a bunch of people who are not children. You know, like imagine getting on the internet every day being like, Hey, this is really inappropriate because of insert obvious thing here. Like that's not cool either. So I was like, okay, if I have to be on this platform and I can't make it enjoyable, then I just need to do it less. And so I used to feel like this pull or this compulsion to be like, if there's a comment, I have to reply. If there's something happening in the media landscape, I have to talk about it. If someone's asking me a question, I've got to give them the airtime, right? If that was the logic train. I could not break it. Now I'm like, oh, none of it has to happen. And that's fine. And that is the kind of like boundary setting being like it, the whole ecosystem we've created is not sustainable. So trying to make sense of it by being really rational and like setting like, here's my working time on the internet. Here's not, it's not working. So it's like, okay, this is a hellhole. We can do four hours of active hellhole a day. And it's another eight hours of passive hellhole. And that's just a matter of it. I guess with that, though, in mind, I feel like we are in such an evolution in media. I mean, we've been in 
this isn't the first time that we've evolved in media. We've, you know, there was no TV, there was TV, there was no radio, mm. there was radio. But I guess, what do you see next for yourself? Like, you know, are there areas that you're super excited about exploring in the future, new platforms, new ways of expressing yourself that maybe you haven't tried yet that, that you kind of interest you or you think the industry might be going? No, I'm, I'm going to fall off. <laughs> I definitely like, my aspiration is to not be like, 45 on Instagram story being like, Hey everyone, this is my day. Like, no, I definitely recognize the benefit of having sold my likeness and making it up for consumption and, you know, taking quote unquote, the easy way as it's perceived into doing it, but it's not a long-term strategy. It's kind of like, it's a conduit. It provides access, it leverages, but it is not a destination. And I think for a lot of my peers, this media personality, social thing is the destination. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm like trying to bypass it and go out. I just want to get to the point where I'm solely using my skills and not my likeness, which I think people don't really see why, like, why is that necessary? I'm like with my skills, I can have support. I can have a team. I can have breaks. I can have boundaries. I can have goals that don't directly tie into what I'm willing to give up personally to achieve them. Just purely professional. But when that happens is very contingent on when I feel like I'm not shooting myself in the foot by jumping off the ship too prematurely, like the ship is sinking, Instagram is dying. Okay. Well, it's been floating for 10 years now. So <laughs> when I see it's half underwater, <laughs> I'm a jump. But as for now, it's still floating. Like we haven't capsized yet. So that's how I kind of feel about it. I feel like there's space for me to be a bit of like a, a media personality in like a legacy way, not in a, gosh, we see her every day. She's part of my daily habit. She's part of my ritual. No, no, no. It's like you released one book that year and that's all you talk about, the one book. And then the next year you do one podcast series and then it has two seasons and that's it. And there's no expectation of any other kind of access until you get the next thing. Yeah, I mean, it's really beautiful, I guess, to think everything does have a beginning a life and an end. And sometimes we latch onto these things of like, I was just thinking like I've, I watched this amazing television series and it, it only had one season. It mm. didn't get a second season. Yeah. And I was like, Oh God, so I can't bold. wait for the second season. And I was like, Oh wait, there's no season two. And I was like, so devastated because I had latched onto it. And I was like, ah, oh, good for them. Yeah. They did one, they expressed themselves and now they're probably all doing doper things. Exactly. Fantastic. I like that. And I, I think it's a tricky thing because like whether it's a control issue thing or, you know, when you get a taste of bliss, you're like, why can't I have this every day? You know? And it's like, it's not how it works. Like when you have a euphoric experience, the second time isn't as good. The third, fourth, fifth year, it's not as good. So I don't mind things not being not as good because in my head, I feel like stoicism is the best philosophy. And so I feel like I can always default to that and be like, you know, there's, there's a stoic out there who's like, it's been good, so it can be fine. I'm like, yeah, it can be fine. <laughs> my meditation this morning was actually learning to honor the rhythms and cycles. Mm. And I feel like that's been my week of like, just kind of being like reflecting on things or looking at changes in the business or in my schedule and then you almost forget though, like those other times when you were working like crazy hours or seven days. And so you're sort of like, just appreciate this cycle because this cycle could be over. Literally. Before I know it. Who Literally. knows when it's going to be over. But 
it is the cycle I'm in, so roll with the cycle. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I mean, like, we don't have an escape pod. We don't, like, you know, there's not this, like... There's no pause. Time it's out. Button. <laughs> time out. <laughs> yeah, like, this is terrible. It's like, you know, can you be in that moment and appreciate it? It might be raining outside, but can you make the best of it? It might, you know, like, unfortunately, bad things happen. Mm. Great things happen. None of them are permanent. I mean, I guess some things might be permanent, but no. hopefully not. Those tattoos that you oh, not really. They could get removed. <laughs> yeah. We've not trying to convince them to get a cappy tattoo. <laughs> oh, fun. You've got space. Hide it. Well, I don't even know if I need to hide it. It's more I'm just not here when the tattoo thing is happening. Oh, yeah. it's a scheduling error. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> scheduling error. Yeah. The time is not right. Okay. The cycle's wrong. Yeah. It's not the cycle. <laughs> I love that way of thinking. It reminds me of Midsummer. Have you seen that? Have you seen oh, it? Yes. Okay, so I loved it, but that's like my vibe. But when a lot of people that I speak to don't like the movie really? for various reasons, it's unnecessarily gory or it's glorifying cults or whatever. I'm like, this is just your inability to understand like culture that is not your own. So, you know, but the bit that I really loved in the movie is it talks about how this community of people live their life in cycles and consider every quarter of your life to be a different cycle and a different season. And so nobody in this community lives longer than I think it's 72. And when you hit the age of 72, you, you commit, you're out, right? But it's the expectation. Like you've given your life, you've done the thing, it's time to go. And there was something about a certain ease I recognized in the people who were in the community knowing what their purpose was. Like, this is my life cycle of this and this is what I'm doing. And when I'm in my next cycle, this is what I'm doing. And I feel like a lot of us chase that kind of self-assuredness in different ways where we can completely control it, right? So it's like, oh, if I'm having a bad time, like this is just what's meant to be. And it's like, okay, well, it's not that. (laughs) You're just in a flow state. That's going to be a different flow state before you know it. So can you acknowledge it for what it is and recognize that you kind of just have to get through it? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, I follow this particular, very small, I guess, audience philosophy. And I was listening to this YouTube video of one of the speakers from it. And he was like, you know, the trouble is that we often seek instead of see. And he was just like, you know, if you're seeking success or if you're seeking happiness or if you're seeking a vacation somewhere, you're just looking at this thing. He's like, but instead, if you just look around and see the success around you, see the happiness around you, see all the beauty. And he's like, if you can live in a state of seeing instead of living in a state of seeking Mm. and not to say that you still shouldn't try to progress and you still shouldn't try to do things. But oftentimes we say that like we live in a world that's so troubling, but there's still a lot of amazing things around. And if you shift your perspective just slightly to look at what's, you know, engaging or beautiful around you. Especially if you live in a Western country, my gosh, like I was talking to a friend of mine who I talk about the apocalypse a lot and I didn't, realize that people didn't know what I was talking about when I say the apocalypse. And it's like, by definition, it's the end of the world as you know it. Right. And so maybe I think of revelation in the Bible. I think of the zombie apocalypse. I think of the climate apocalypse or whatever, but I was talking to a friend and she was like, Oh, I I always thought you're being facetious. And I'm like, you live so much in your Western reality. People have been living out the apocalypse for their whole lives. I'm like, there are locusts in East Africa, babes. 
tearing through communities, right? There are places in the Middle East that are too hot to live in. So people have like resided in, in caves for their whole life. And you think I'm joking? Like you're just not seeing. I just, and it's exactly that. It's like even in your denial of a reality that's not your own, you haven't even considered that you are living in someone's utopia right now. Right now. And what's crazy in that is that in the, and obviously there's, you know, there's people doing it hard in the Western world. Yeah, of course. But we don't have survival skills. <laughs> like that's the one thing, like if stuff started to happen here. Literally. Did you hear in Canada, they had, what was like the electricity, an issue with the electricity, which meant that there was like no FPOS, there was like no Apple Pay, there was no internet, nothing. And everyone was like, Okay. Hmm. <laughs> How do we get coffee? People <laughs> like, let's do an honor system and you can come back and pay tomorrow. And, and but even like I remember deep in COVID, not even like coming out of COVID at the start of this year where the truck drivers got COVID and so nobody could deliver the fruits and veggies to the grocers. And we were like, okay, well, guess we're not eating. That's what it went to. Everyone's like, oh, okay, we'll just get menu log. And it's like, no, there's no menu log. There's no Uber, babe. Like there's no <laughs> produce. And everyone's like, okay, well, I'm really confused because I need to eat. And it's like, exactly. I'll just go get some candy bars from the local. <laughs> I'll get a Snickers. I'm having another Powerade today. <laughs> it's just, it's exactly it. And then it's so odd because like when my mum talks about her upbringing, um, cause she is like super savvy in every sense of the word, but she had to cultivate that skill in survival mode and she was able to see the value in maintaining that. Like I remember I was talking to her the other day. She's like, what are you eating for dinner? I was like, I don't know. I read that you're not meant to ask your taste buds what they feel like eating because it'll just tell you what you've just been eating. You programmed it. So I'm like, well, without that, I don't know what I want to eat. Like I just don't have a very like natural relationship with food. I'm like, oh, I don't know. It's a vibe. But she was like, oh, well, why don't you just make mashed potatoes? Like you really like mashed potatoes. And I was like, oh yeah, but I don't know where my potato mash is. And she was like, use a fork. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> for real. <laughs> Even that, I was like, I was really going to forego eating because I didn't have the tool. That is insane. So what I'm hearing, Flex, is if the apocalypse <laughs> is upon us, here's what I want you to do. You get your mom on well, a flight not only that, and then you come here to the bunker literally we'll survive social skills will get me through the apocalypse <laughs> hands down i'm being the appointed leader's right hand i'm not going to do the leadering but i'll be like the, the right hand left hand person because i don't me no you're not mashing the potatoes in our apocalyptic oh, no, no, but i do need to eat <laughs> <laughs> and somebody needs to farm <laughs> I mean, I will say I'm obsessed a bit with the apocalypse. So mm -hmm. I've got like my zombie escape plan. I've got my meteor hits the earth plan. Ooh. You just, you got to be prepared. I used to feel that way until life happened. And I was like, whoa, things are constantly happening that are definitely not in my realm of understanding. Like things I could have never foreseen or never prepared for, never anticipated. So a lot of it feels like I'm tiring myself out before I need to get to work. Like, I think that if danger were to happen, I'm trusting that I have read enough books and watched enough movies that I'm going to like leap into the person I need to be in that moment. But right now I'm like a soft person. I'm like, oh, this is so too much sun. And you know, I do this thing in the gym these days, right? So like people think that I like have a really great work ethic and I do, but I 
don't like hard work. I just like to work hard. So I'm constantly having to negotiate with myself and be really imaginative about how I push myself. And so the thing that I'm finding with trying to learn discipline is like going to the gym. I'm like, I need to move so I don't calcify. But then when we have to do like these sets and reps, so my PT might be like, okay, you've got 12 reps in this set. And I always get to nine. I'm like, okay, I'm out. (laughs) You know, I'm like, but if she had said 15, I could do 12. And so I, I say to her like, Okay, if we're going to have to do 12 reps, when you get to six, start counting from one again. Because if you start saying seven, eight, nine, ten, I'm out for the count. She's like, there's no difference. Like, there's a difference. Also, if I'm training alone, I have to be like, okay, what if you had to do these last three reps to save your life? You know, what if there was a gun to your head and they were like, do these last three reps? You would do it. But why is it taking like creative exercises just to like, you know, get my brain to work with me? I think you're not the only one though, because I was just listening to this BBC show all about gamification Mm. and they're like, literally everyone's gamifying everything (laughs) from like Amazon to Nintendo. It's like, even for work, like you get a score when you do this thing and then we rank you on. And so people are just like, they need a little, a little something, a little rewards based system, but the reward often isn't good enough. Right. So like someone might say to me, Oh, because you started exercising consistently, you might live an extra three years. I'm thinking, well, three years at like that decrepit old age, what is it going to matter? I might just want to die, you know? <laughs> and if the apocalypse comes before, the, <laughs> you know? And so I'm like, okay, well like suddenly like the, the reward isn't rewarding. And so now we create these micro moments of pleasure that aren't like pure pleasure. It's like this watered down cut with a bunch of stuff. Like it's not even hidden like it used to. I remember when I was like 13 listening to music with my headphones on in my bed. That was euphoria. I was like, I've never felt like thoughts like this. I'm like imagining things. The world feels so bright. And now I play music and it's like dull and muted. And I'm like, did I do this? What, like, when does it get bright again? When does it get, like, saturated? I don't know. And then you'll tell someone, oh, the music you kids are listening to today just doesn't hit like it, doesn't it was. Hit. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, whilst we've had such a beautiful conversation, I feel like we're getting close to a wrap-up time. But one, one question that we do know that all of our listeners really do love is, you know, are there any people out there, brands, authors, that you're just like really, really vibing, vibing at the moment? I'm more inspired by ideas, not necessarily things or people, but I will say that I feel like what everybody needs to do like immediately is to figure out your life's philosophy. Because honestly, I've been like challenging my friends to do the same because I'm like, it's helping me understand you better and it's helping you understand yourself better. So forget the creators, the brands, musicians, go Google the different types of philosophies in the world and like read that. It'll help. Like I'm a hedonist through and through, but you know, born into a capitalist family who's like, you gotta like work hard, which is fine. And I really love stoicism. Like, I don't think I want to be a stoic now or even in this lifetime, but if I could start from scratch, I'd be a stoic for sure. They are the best at everything or a romantic. (laughs) Emma, we have our homework. Yep. Find our philosophy. Yeah. Find it ASAP. 
and then see how like, not how committed you can be to living it, but see like how naturally you are it without having to orient yourself or like learn a new skill or suppress parts of yourself. Like what's just coming out naturally that I find is so interesting. And owning it. Yeah. I didn't think that I was a hedonist. Like I don't drink alcohol. I'm trying to learn this year because I stopped drinking when I was 18. I was like, this is really hard. And then I was like, oh, but I see so many key moments that I feel ostracized from. I was like, I want to like go to a bar with my friends to just have a drink. And my reason for not drinking is purely incidental. I'm like, I don't know what to drink. I don't know what flavors I like. So I just won't do it. But so I'm like, I could never be a hedonist then. Cause like, that's like seeking out pleasure and leisure. I'm like, I'm like, no, but at my core, I am seeking out pleasure and leisure. And I'm trying to reduce pain by all means necessary in the way that makes sense to me. So it is very hedonistic of me to start exercising. Cause I'm like, oh, I am trying to like reduce the possibility of more pain later. Anyway. Well, I have to say, this is a little sneak preview as to something we'll have at Cappy probably in about eight months, but we might have something. Ooh, I'm a witch. Just for you. <laughs> I was like, that was just perfect. Uh, yes. Like a commercial for a product that doesn't exist yet. I'm good. I'm a saleswoman. <laughs> well, thank you so, so much, Flex, for joining us. Beautiful conversation. Thanks for coming in person. My pleasure. To the bunker. To the bunker. Live and live and direct from the bunker. To all our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in and hope you enjoy. Ciao. Bye. Farewell. <laughs>